0: If you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're looking at verses 7 through 14 this morning. Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's the word of the Lord. So this morning, we are nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're here in chapter 7. And as we're nearing the end here, Jesus transitions a little bit into talking about how we relate to other people. Last week, we looked at his teaching on judgment, and his, um, his teaching that we should not be a people who are placing judgment on others, but we also explored the difference between judgment and discernment. Today, though, we see how our trust and reliance on Christ should shape not only our personal spiritual lives, but it should also shape the way that we relate to our families and to the people around us in our contexts. And so we begin today with these three famous verbs ask seek and knock and much like the passage last week on judgment this is one of the more misused verses in scripture and this is just an example of how if you pull a verse out of its context you can really make it say and mean whatever you want it to mean so if i if i were to take this ask and it will be given to you peace by itself then I could really go in any direction with it. And and the truth is many people have. The million dollar question here is what does it mean? What does it mean when it says ask and it will be given to you? There are plenty of people out there who will tell you that it means money or it means material possessions. There are those who will tell you that it means whatever you want that God is essentially a magic genie who is just waiting to grant you your next wish. Um, They'll actually often pull out another verse, Psalm 37, 4, which says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But we can get into a lot of trouble when we pull verses away from what is around them, um, when we pull them out of the context in which they are written. The context of Psalm 37 is David, King David, who was concerned about the fact that his enemies were prospering. That whole psalm actually begins with the words, do not fret because of those who are evil. And the verse right before it, verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So the context is not that God wants to give you whatever desires are in your heart, because I don't know about you, but the desires that are often in my heart are not righteous in the least. The context of the Psalm is that if you are worried about the power and prosperity of your enemies, if you are worried about terrible things that you see out in the world around you, your response should be to put your trust in the Lord and do good And he will sustain you. And he will not allow your enemies to prosper over you. So in this context, the desires of David's heart are that he would be protected from the success of his enemies. Now, it's real easy to take those words and to paint them on like a piece of wood and sell them at Hobby Lobby and hang them up in your house, right? But it can also lead us to believe something about God that isn't true. And and that is that he wants to give you whatever you want. That isn't true. The real danger is that if our belief is placed in the wrong things, it can be devastating and disorienting to us when those things don't happen. So if you've bought into this notion that, for example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and that all things means whatever thing possibly crops up in my mind or my heart then it can be devastating when those things don't happen when God doesn't seem to come through for you we've seen this trend in our culture recently of what has been termed spiritual deconstruction Uh, many mostly millennial people who who grew up in the church in the heyday of American uh, kind of big show seeker sensitive church American big show youth ministry these folks are now getting into their 30s, and they've got this head full of spiritual platitudes and, and sort of like feel-good pseudo-biblical sayings, but often they don't have a real grasp on the scriptures. And you've maybe heard it said that the key to effective leadership is setting expectations and managing expectations. And, and I think there's a whole generation of people out there, maybe some of us as well, who, who did not have adequate expectations about God set for them. When your basic understanding of God is something like, if I will just be a good boy or girl and, and not have sex before marriage and not lie, cheat, or steal, then God will bless me, then your understanding of God is functionally incorrect. And you've actually bought into a false gospel which is a gospel that says, I have to do good things in order to get good things from God. And that's actually not true. It's actually the opposite of the real gospel, which says that while we were sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. His death for us, the salvation and grace that he extends to us, is not predicated on the basis of our goodness. Because Scripture says we don't have any goodness. Even in this text today, notice how it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus is teaching his disciples right now. right? He's not not just speaking generally to um, random people. He's talking directly to the people who have left jobs and families and homes to follow him, and he's calling them evil. If it's true of them, it's true of us. And if it's true of God, back then it is still true of God today. The context here is that our God is a good and loving Father, and He wants to give you good and loving things. But but here's the caveat. He is the one who gets to define what is good because the whole concept of goodness is based on His character. You, on the other hand, are evil, it says, and and what Jesus is getting at here is not that everything you do every second of the day is pure evil. What he's getting at here is that at your core is unrighteousness and at your core is an inability to in any way reconcile yourself to the father. At your core is an inability to be good enough to earn your way into God's family or earn your way into God's good graces or earn your way into eternity. But notice again that Jesus uses this if-then logic that he's used throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when he says something to the effect of, if God is going to clothe the grass of the field and the flowers in the field in a beautiful way, and, and, and the next day they're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire, then why are you worried about whether or not God is going to clothe you? He uses that same logic here. He says, if if Jesus is going to do or if God rather the father is going to do what he has done for his children, if he's going to give good gifts to you, why do you think that he's suddenly going to stop when he wasn't doing that in the first place based on your goodness? If that is true. Then don't you think our God who is perfect wants that even more and even more perfectly than we do. So, when you're asking and seeking and knocking and doing these things that Jesus is calling us to do, a few thoughts for us to remember today. First of all, these words imply persistence and patience. Um, I I think that there's a scriptural perspective that says that God's desire is that we would continually bring our needs and our desires before him, that it wouldn't be a one and done type thing, um, that we would continually come to him and lay those things at his feet with persistence. Secondly, that God wants us, or he wants to give you what is good based on his paradigm. So you may think you know what is best. I often think I know what is best. You may think you know what you want and need, but God who is supreme, God who is sovereign, God who created all things, God who is omniscient, knows far better than you do what you actually need. And even in the midst of this season, I, I think that 's something for us to take comfort in. Um, what this season has actually done is it has revealed it 's kind of pulled back the curtain on what is true all the time. We just forget it what is true all the time is that God is the only one who is actually in control there may, There may be instances in my life when i'm when I 'm living in my normal regular everyday rhythms where I feel like I am actually in control where I am actually affecting. The things in my world. But, but when suddenly those rhythms get stripped away, we are reminded of the fact that, oh, I, I'm i actually pretty fragile. And, and I'm actually pretty um, in, unpowerful. I, I I'm, I'm pretty incapable of actually affecting much in my world. God is the one who is ultimately in control of all things. And so with those things in mind, a few, a few days ago in one of our spiritual practices videos we sent out, we talked about something called the prayer of relinquishment. Um, this is a prayer that Jesus calls us to pray as a part of the Lord's Prayer. Um, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. That, that as a people, we would actively pray that the will of God would be done. Um, this was also a prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was arrested. Um, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. And um, I don't know about you guys, but that is something that I am praying during this season. I, I don't know what's going on. Like I don't, I don't pretend to know what the Lord's doing or what the outcome of these things um, is going to be or, or what the world is going to look like in six months or a year from now. But, but what, I, what I do pray is that God's will would be done. And um, even if it's not what I want, or even if it's not what I think I need, that um, that if God's will is being done, then the best thing is being done. And, and then finally, let's remember that God wants to give you the right things at the right times. Um, God's timing is impeccable. Um, often we are completely unaware of what God's timing actually is. Some of you have been persistent and patient in prayer over an incredibly long season with certain things, and um, maybe you haven't seen the Lord come through yet, or maybe you haven't experienced an answer from Him yet, but He calls us to continue to lay those things at His feet, and He calls us to recognize the fact that because He's good and sovereign and in control, He will give us the right things at the right times, and that we should hope in that and take comfort in that. But let us remember that the right things are often not what we want. Because again, at our core is an unrighteous heart. It's it's like that dumb uh, Garth Brooks song about unanswered prayers, right? Um, Sometimes God really does display his love for us by not giving us what we most want. And Jesus's point is that you if you have kids, you probably do the same things with your kids. You protect them from themselves. You protect them from what they don't know. There are things that they think they want that you don't give them because they don't really understand. There's, there's immaturity there. And the same thing is true for us. There is a spiritual immaturity. um, There is a lack of vision. There's a lack of ability to see the future. And yet our Father in heaven is able to see all of those things. And um, he's able to give us what we most need when we most need it. And so Jesus' point is if you do the same thing with your kids, you protect them from themselves and what they think they want, you also bless them. If, if you do that and at your core is unrighteousness, then how much more will God do those things? And, and so with all of that in mind, here's, here's what I think Jesus has primarily done for us. He has treated us not as we should be treated, right? He hasn't given us what we are due. He hasn't given us what we are owed. Um, But instead, he has done to us what he wants us to do to him. This is the last verse in our text today. This is what's commonly known as the golden rule. We all know the King's English version, the whole do unto others thing. But here's what we miss. Everything that Jesus teaches, he also models. Everything that Jesus teaches, he also models. There's nothing that he gives us in his verbal teaching that we can't look at his life and also see in practice. And the same thing is true here. Notice how at the end of that, it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. So I said on one of our prayer calls earlier this week that that I have a I have a theory that all of Jesus' teaching ultimately comes back to the great commandment. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And and that is certainly true here. It's said of the great commandment that it is the summation of all the law and the prophets. And as Jesus says that you would do to others... um, what you want them to do to you, and that that is the law and the prophets, he is effectively restating the great commandment here. There is also this connection um, to the whole of Jesus' teaching and, 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 and the whole of the model of his life, because everything is ultimately leading to this ultimate self-sacrifice. It's leading to this point where he lays, lays down his life Um, for those who are opposed to him and, and those who are unrighteous. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And in doing that, he also teaches us things like, greater love has no one than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And so at the same time that Jesus is laying down his life for us, he is calling us also to lay down our lives for others. And that may not necessarily mean physical death, but it certainly means servanthood. Um, we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark on our prayer calls, and one of the things we see Jesus saying to his disciples over and over again, and it's just like they don't get it at all, he keeps saying to them, if you want to be first, you have to become the servant of all. If you want to be first, you have to become like one who is last. And they just, they just, it's almost like they don't grasp it, and so he just keeps repeating it ad nauseum he also models it. Jesus is first. He is on his throne in heaven, but he also modeled for us what it looks like to be last and to become the servant of all and to lay down one's life for his friends. And so in the same way, his desire is that we would embrace that towards our neighbors, toward our family members, toward those who are around us in our context. And um, and I would say that now is never a better time for us to truly begin to embrace what it looks like to be servants.